0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Elliot Niblock. No Polly Today we are poly-less, but we will have a mobile take from Mr. Questel. So uh, that's coming up a little bit later in the show. We do have midweek action in the Premier League here this week. We are truly blessed after stuffing our faces with more turkey than any man should ever eat in a single year. We got a small turkey this year, and it was still thirteen pounds.
1: Oh God, that's not. Yeah, I mean, I guess for a turkey, have you you know what, Seb? Have you ever had a capon? You know what those are? I do not
0: know what a capon is.
1: So a capon is a castrated rooster. Okay. So it does you know it doesn't have the testosterone, and so it doesn't end up getting all sinewy and chewy the way that rooster meat would be, but. It grows to be bigger than a normal chicken without any additional hormones, but smaller than a turkey. So, you know what, like, whatever about tradition in the future, if you're like, all the small turkeys are too big, just roast a freaking capon. It's similar. They're all foul.
0: Or, or you can just go, you know, portion size and just do quail, you know, one quail per person. <laughs> then you don't have this mountain of leftovers.
1: Yeah, but then that's all. But that's also just kind of a pain to prepare quail per person.
0: Is it though? Really, you just chuck them all in
1: and roast them at the same time. I guess so. I mean, honestly, I've only ever had quail once. My ex girlfriend prepared it for Valentine's Day one year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a delicate
0: little bird, but maybe as far as portions go, that might be more. You know, within reason than this. Seth,
1: we live in America. This Turkey. is the land of old country buffet. And yeah, that's true. Mac and cheese.
0: That is true. Oh, God. Mac and cheese. <laughs> so overrated. Okay, let's get into the football here. We're going to talk about a couple of games. We got games on Tuesday and Wednesday, so we'll cherry pick a couple of them. Talk about what they did the previous match day as we head into match day 14. And kicking us off on Tuesday is Leicester against Spurs. At the King Power Stadium. And um, you know Spurs ever since um, getting this. uh, I don't know really what you would want to call him. But that real stamp of being a title contender. And really you know Pochettino's boys and all that good stuff. I mean sitting in 5th place right now. 24 points, 13 points off leaders Manchester City. Yeah, I don't really know if this team is going to get it done.
1: Well, it's hard to say because they're, they're still the same talented group of players managed by the previously untouchable but now fallen to the ranks of the human Mauricio Pochettino, still a good manager. Oh, uh, still I a mean, great manager.
0: I would much yeah. rather have him than
1: uh, Mourinho. But yeah, I mean, as you said, they're, what they've started to get is respect. They're getting respect first and foremost from the media. Now, here's the thing. And again, take it with the forever grain of salt that this is from a biased supporter of one of the clubs, but you know, better to own that than pretend those biases don't exist. But I think a lot of that pro Spurs hype that's been built up is – from journalists who know that Arsenal has had a I mean, they've had more longstanding success, and that just realistically translates to a larger fan base, a fan base that has been and continues to be easily agitated by underperformance in the Premier League. And so they know that if you're, you know, if you're a sports journalist and you write an article, you know, maybe it's legitimate journalism, maybe it's pure terrible pick a combined 11 of all Spurs players, clickbait, or maybe it's somewhere in between. But if you're going to talk smack about Arsenal and big up Spurs, you know that you're going to get a ton of traffic. And so I think that while I don't disagree that they are a talented team managed by a strong manager in Mauricio Pochettino... I still think that some of the hype has been just the media machine.
0: Well, do you think also that teams are at least starting to figure out how to play this team?
1: Well, yeah, that I mean that as well. And and so here's the thing. I mean we, so they they drew 1-1 against West Brom having just recently fired Tony Pulis and the baseball cap and the track suit. And honestly, to be honest, West Brom had a legitimate chance to win this game, not only going up 1-0 and then having Tottenham equalize, but near the end, they had a golden chance that they spurned. And so I don't think that Spurs can be, you know, holding their heads in their hands, complaining that they had a result stolen from them. Oh, no, not at all. You know, they... I mean, so tactically, you know, I mean, Seb, you're the one who raised the question. Like, do you do you feel like there's a particular setup that if you're coming up against Spurs you want to organize your team so as to be effective in the same way that West Brom were this weekend?
0: Yeah, if you're one of the lesser teams, yeah, that's the approach you take. But we saw when they played Arsenal that you can still go at Spurs. You, know mm-hmm. you mean, you don't have to just sit back and then hope for a break. You can still take it to them too. And it's um, especially when you're at home as Arsenal were. You know, you can still let them have a slight majority of the possession and all that stuff, but at the same time, this is a team that is getting more and more used to having seeing a lot of the ball. And if you can take it to them, keep possession, you can do some damage. And you know, we saw also that Spurs, they were great on the counter. So as long as you go forward, press them. And make sure you don't leave yourself too vulnerable at the back. You can stop a lot of that early on before they can get, you know, Harry Kane flying down or Deli Ali gets a ton of space. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the thing too. If you can, if you can sort of stop Deli Ali from, you know, sp- dictating play, you have a lot of lot of things won against them. And then you just try to isolate Kane so that he doesn't get too much room on the
1: ball too. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I agree with you on all that. And to me, they, yes, he's they a,
0: strike... He's a good striker, or he's a great striker, but he, yeah. you can also muscle him around.
1: Well, and to me, they are... They seem to me like a slightly better version of Liverpool. And I don't just say that because they're merely one point better than Liverpool on the table, but uh, they're, they're the are, kind... They're a lot better defensively. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, but that's that's what I, that's what I mean, exactly. Like... Liverpool can bleed goals in a way that Tottenham never will because, you know, Hugo Lloris is better than Simone Mignolet, first of all. Overall, their back line is, I think, from, you know, touchline to touchline, better than Liverpool's. But, but they are still a beatable side, as you say, when we saw at the Emirates, when Arsenal went at them. It's just the difference is, what would be a Liverpool goal glut of letting in three, four, or five goals for Tottenham that's 2-0 to the Arsenal at the Emirates mm-hmm. but in the same way that yeah if you if you can isolate Coutinho and kind of shut him down and make sure that in the same way that you shut down Delhi Ali and again Liverpool don't have that focal point of their attack and a, a striker like Harry Kane I mean Sadio Mane is good but I don't think that he's as good as Harry Kane but regardless that this is what I'm saying that they're similar in that way of they're both dangerous sides that could hit you for four goals in any given match. And what we've seen the last couple weeks, they're both sides that if you press them, they can fold a little bit. So I, I still, even as I'm drawing this parallel, I still think Tottenham are 100% going to finish above Liverpool on the table this season. You know, whether that's 3 4, 4 5, 5 6 remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. I don't see either of them falling much beyond 6-7. But to be quite honest, Seb, the, the way the table stands today on November 27th, you know, I would not be surprised if it was that at the end of the season with the possible, maybe even probable flip of Tottenham 4th, Arsenal 5th, mm. dare I say.
0: Yeah, I think as far as, you know, second to... Because honestly, Manchester City at this point with just how good they look...
1: Oh yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll get to that, we'll get to that game a little later. But but uh, yes,
0: team, you know, from Man United in second down to Liverpool in sixth. I mean, this is the, the six teams that are going to be in spots two, two to six. I mean, that's just, I don't see Burnley or Watford, you know, really making that big of a splash so they would finish in top six. I just don't. It would be wonderful, but I I just don't see it happening. Uh, And and the Tottenham, I feel like in their game against Liverpool, when they won 4-1, they showed the difference in class.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah, yeah. Spurs, they're a good team. They need to win something, though. They just need to win something. Be it the League Cup, the FA Cup. They just need to win something and get that trophy drought, you know, monkey off their shoulder, back, head. Well, and you know what's... Because, <laughs> I mean, that's how you breed a winning culture, is by winning something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of you can't. The I same. mean, it,
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's like, oh, it's been such good under Pochettino. Yeah, but you've done what? You finished second. Congrats.
1: Well, and the year prior to that, they collapsed spectacularly to finish behind Arsenal once yeah. again. And so, I mean, I'm... <laughs> Now that we are polyless apparently I'm taking up the uh, position as Polly's mouthpiece. But that's, that's one of the things that he talks about. And granted, he's speaking anecdotally and kind of, you know, uh, extrapolating from that uh, to Spurs supporters in general, which is, you know, you can argue that's fair, unfair, representative or not, whatever. But he talks about people that he knows saying like, oh, well, you know, we don't really care about the League Cup or we don't really care about, such and such a competition no you you should care about that yes. because it's a flipping trophy I don't you know I don't care if you are Cambridge United competing for the check it trade trophy that is contested between the divisions below the championship or if you are Manchester City playing the leagues away front runner for the premiership in the league cup like A trophy is a trophy, and yeah, you have to you have to rotate your squad, you have to scale your expectations based on the number of competitions you're in, but in 60 years, either a piece of silverware is going to be in that cabinet, or it isn't. That's true. Full stop.
0: Yeah, exactly. They don't hand out participation trophies in this league, uh, which is good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quick word on Manchester United against Watford. Um being played also on Tuesday at the aptly named Vicarage Road. Jonathan Moss will be the referee for that one. So I can't wait. Awesome. Uh, Watford being, you know, they had a couple of bad results here. Losing to Chelsea, Stoke, and Everton. But then they turned things around a bit. Two straight wins. 2 nothing win over West Ham. Then a 3 nothing win over Newcastle in their latest game. And, you know, they're sort of sneaky good, sitting in eighth place. Marco Silva's been getting a lot of praise, their manager. And I feel like this is a tough game for United. And yeah. United, United, you know, squeaked out a one nothing win over Brighton in their last game.
1: Well, you know, we were just talking about the top six teams. And I would say, reading down the table, 7-8-9, Burnley, Watford, Brighton, they're all sneaky good. Yes. You know, I mean, and we're getting to the point in the season where... <laughs> like Sneaky's out the window, they've all established themselves as good squads. And I would even add, again, we just keep teasing it, but we haven't talked about it yet, Huddersfield into that mix, even though they're sitting in 11th behind Southampton. But, I mean, those are all teams. And the the rest of the mid-table, you know, down to Newcastle, they're like Bournemouth, Leicester, Southampton. Right? These are teams that are perennial underdogs when they're facing the current top six. But they've established themselves down the years, at least over the course of the last handful of years, as legitimate contenders in the Premier League with the obvious outlier of the Foxes having been champions of England. But uh, but I think that, you know, it, it doesn't sound sexy the way talking about Tottenham as a title contender does. But yeah, you know, the, these teams that have been punching above their weight consistently in Leicester, Bournemouth, Southampton... The new Leicester born with Southampton are the Burnley, Watford, Brighton, and on the outs, Huddersfield as well. So, I mean, all credit to all those teams.
0: Yeah, Watford, they've been good going forward. They scored 22 goals so far, which is uh, one better than Spurs. <laughs> they, they I mean, they've shipped 21 goals, which isn't too great. That's uh, actually well, yeah. that's actually a lot uh, if you compare it to the other teams in the league. I mean, the only teams that have shipped more are towards the bottom there. So, um, you know, they, they need to have a good day defensively if they're going to beat United, that's for sure. But I, yeah. I still think it's an interesting game, and it's going to be a, a, a tough one for United. Uh, we're going to talk about some games on Wednesday, but first, let's take a quick little break. Okay, and we're back. A couple of games on Wednesday that we'll talk about, of course, since, uh, you know, Elliot is with me today. We're going to talk about Arsenal and they take on Huddersfield, the sneaky good Huddersfield at the Emirates, though. So if I were an Arsenal supporter, I wouldn't have too much fear going into this one, especially seeing that Huddersfield have only scored nine goals in 13 games.
1: Yeah, but they're
0: I mean they did have a commendable 2-1 defeat to Manchester City in the last game.
1: Yeah. So uh, well let's talk about that first. Um and you know we'll talk about City more later, but Huddersfield went up one nothing and they I you know they looked for all the world that they might be knocking at least two points off of Manchester City's fantastic record. Um But, and really sadly, Sterling's goal in that, you know, so in the second half, Aguero equalized in a very early penalty in like the 47th minute, and then off of solid build-up play, a good drive from Gabriel Jesus, the ball rebounded off of Sterling's chest and into the goal, Um, and, you know, as we were talking about before we started recording, Seb, that Huddersfield ended up getting a red card and I, after the fact, after the final whistle. And that's not that surprising to me. And I imagine that there were some Huddersfield supporters in the pub afterward who were like, yeah, right, good on you, because mm-hmm. that's how we feel. We feel hard done by, if not robbed, because they played strongly throughout that game. And, uh, I mean, they've got to be really, really devastated to end up dropping that result to the team that looks for all the world to be the ultimate champions. So on the one hand, yeah, it's at the Emirates. They, they should take care of business, but the FA, they're just, they keep giving Arsenal fixtures in November. And (laughs) we know that they are historically terrible during this month. And we've got one more yet to go on the 28th, just right at the death.
0: Yeah, you know but I mean, looking at you know, their late as the way games, too, I mean, a 4 0 defeat to Bournemouth and then a 3 0 defeat to Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, I'll. Uh, that should give you some confidence.
1: Yeah, I'll tip my hand in terms of my prediction for this result, uh, but I think it's going to go one of two ways. Either Arsenal are going to blow the doors off of them and have the same kind of dominant performance they showed against Spurs against the side that is inarguably less talented and they're going to end up scoring at least one, if not two more goals than they did against Tottenham. Or or Arsenal are going to show the kind of half-hearted, lackadaisical performance that they put in at an admittedly difficult place to win in turfmore this past weekend and Huddersfield are going to make it close until the very end and nick either a point, if not all three, from the Arsenal. Okay. So, its I mean, it's, I don't see this being a kind of middling, you know, oh, it was close for a while, and then it was 2-1, and then it was 3-1. It's either going to be Arsenal dominate or Arsenal fall flat on their faces and pray for the sort of late penalty that saved them against Burnley this weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that are going to do well. well. We'll see, though, what happens when we get to our scoring predictions. Uh, Manchester City, we've, you know, sort of beat around the bush there a little. But uh, sitting good at the top with uh, 37 points, 12 wins, 1 drawn, 0 losses. A stunning goal differential of 42 42- Four and only eight allowed, so a plus 34 goal differential.
1: These are like video games. Now.
0: Yes, pretty much. And they go up against Southampton at home at the Etihad. And um, Southampton coming off a good win. They took a 4-1 win at home over Everton in their last game. Uh, Dusan Tadic opened up the scoring in that one. Uh, Everton did get an equalizer right at the half and then two goals by Charlie Austin and one by Steven Davis secure the win for them. So Southampton sitting in 10th place right now. And I mean you just can't go against I'm not, I'm not going to go against City until, you know, it happens, you know, until I see them hit
1: a clear rut. I'm not going to pick against City. So well, and it looked and it looked like they they might have they might have hit that hiccup against Huddersfield. and yeah, then, still came out with three points. Yeah. I mean, they were – again, I say that Huddersfield probably feel and really should feel hard done by, but they were hammering on that door. And it's a combination of talent, perseverance, and a little bit of luck. I imagine that if you're a Huddersfield supporter, you err on the ladder of those three and say they got lucky as hell. And I imagine if you're a city supporter, you say, look, we've got players of this quality of Gabriel Jesus coming off the bench. You expect us to score a goal, and we did.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I don't I don't have any trouble saying if, you know, one of the sites that I root for, if they come out with a one nothing win or a late 2-1 win, if they were lucky, they were lucky, and that's fine. And that's... That's the type of you know you got to yeah. have those games too. If you play you know below your normal standard and still come out with a win, you know that's what champions are made of.
1: Basically, yeah. Well, but and, and I mean I agree entirely. I just think that this is this is an example of being able to see both sides of that coin, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah, like yeah, that Raheem Sterling knew nothing about that goal. Oh, like, no. you, you praise him all you want for getting into a dangerous position in the six yard box. Sure, good. That's good attack positioning. But at the same time, <laughs> the ball went in and then he was like, "What?" Oh, great. And then celebrated.
0: Yeah, I mean so, it was it was sort of the same as for the own goal by Otamendi.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I I mean it just fell down right on his chest and then
1: it went in and he's like, "Oh well, that sucked." Yeah. But but, but that's that's the response though I mean I think that your characterization of that speaks to this Manchester City team under Pep Guardiola in his second season in the Premier League, such that yeah you see many many defenders give up an own goal and they're distraught they're you know they're inconsolable, and whereas he he has the confidence that like well that's disappointing. And I fully expect us to come back and take all three points from this match. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's cocky. Maybe it's often unrealistic, but you know what? That's what happened. And that's the kind of Supreme confidence that it takes to win championships. And that's probably exactly what they're going to do. Hey, when you average just above three goals per game, you,
0: you can afford to be a little bit cocky.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> good Lord. I mean, it's, it's astonishing how good they are going forward. And, and yes, I mean, Pep should have some of the credit, but at the same time, they just have such a stacked, stacked squad. So They are not bad. No. Uh, one very important game towards the bottom of the table that we'll touch upon here, that's Everton against West Ham. Everton sitting in 16th place, a mere 12 points, and then West Ham just uh, under the drop with 10 points. Uh, both teams in horrible form and uh more talk today about how everton must appoint big sam
1: yeah. oh god oh no please don't please I mean,
0: don't i it's a it's a legit short term solution
1: it it is that I, I i mean i don't know he's he's he is uh Similar to the whale that he is he is a buoyant mammal that will keep you from sinking into the relegation zone and will do little if anything more than that i mean that
0: that's the thing though just sign him for the rest of the rest of the season
1: no it's yeah it's a pragmatic tactical appointment that I understand i also i I'm, I'm gonna keep harping on this like guys he took a freaking bribe I know that it's not Pete rose like right like he wasn't he wasn't tanking a game. He wasn't betting on the sport that he was participating in. But he took a freaking bribe. And oh, the, yeah. He was no, fired I'm not. He's
0: parent, not a good. And, I'm not saying that he's a good person.
1: No, I just. I, but yeah, but it's. It, it's one thing to be a good person. You know what? Like. John Terry was a terrible person in many different ways, you know? Just awful. Just awful. Like. And. But that's fine. When it comes to the pitch, well actually he was kind of shit on the pitch too, but <laughs> that was a bad example. But you can be you know, you can be a sleaze bag who is rude to the barista and then doesn't tip every day of your life and cheats on your wife, but then when it comes to your job, you treat it with respect. It doesn't make you a good person, but at least makes you a professional. Yes. But he, he still conducted himself unethically in relationship to his job, yeah, exactly as you say, it's yeah. unprofessional. Yes, I, I, I have, I have no time for Big Sam except for ridicule, and that will continue until he retires from both club and international management. But we, I mean, we should speak to this game itself because it's a really fascinating
0: match and it's a very important match. I mean, David Moyes not enjoyed the best starts with West Ham. Uh, they haven't won a game in ages. At least Everton have one win in their last five. Whereas West Ham have three losses and two draws. West Ham coming off a 1-1 draw to Leicester at home. They fell behind early in that one. And then the Sheikou tied things up right before halftime. Um, which was West Ham's first goal under David Moyes. So good on him, I guess. It's uh, I, I just don't have any faith in David Moyes. I mean yeah. yes it's probably tainted from his stint as United Manchester United manager and but it's just I don't know I, it feels like he's you know we always we often talk about you know Mourinho be, being a little bit old school or sticking to his you know the system that got him success mm-hmm. I feel like Moes is a freaking
1: dinosaur yeah yeah uh, and and again off the back of everything I just said I still have more respect for him than Sam Allardyce. Oh, yeah. But it, it's it's not exactly a thrilling appointment if you're a Hammers supporter. Um, but, no, but, but he, do, he just wanted to get back in the game. Yeah, of course. And, that, and this is a good position for him to do so. I mean, it's a, it's a club with a long history that is fighting an unexpected relegation battle that, you know, he's got the talent on his squad. Versus the expectation for him as a manager is the kind of disparity that I think any manager would see, right? Because it is, they are, they've been underperforming all season, horribly so, Mm -hmm. but it is a talented team. And his expectation at this point is merely avoid the drop. Like, yeah, I would take that job with both hands.
0: Yeah, now it's just shore up the defense, grind out one nothing results. Basically, and get to safety. That that's all he needs to do.
1: Well, and but this is, this is what especially interests me because obviously Everton are in a similar boat, right? Like both of these teams coming into the season. West Ham signs Chicharito. Everton get Wayne Rooney, and you know, kind of the prodigal son returns from Old Trafford. I, I bet that you pull a thousand supporters of each club. And you get something in the 90th percentile for both asking them. And they say they're probably at least hoping to, if not expecting to, sit 6th or 8th at the minimum versus 16th and 18th respectively for Everton and West Ham. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: both of these teams had, you know, at least getting to Europa League as their main goal heading into this season. So... Well, and they've
1: got similar records. Not only, I mean, you know, so Everton sit two points ahead of West Ham. But in terms of their, you know, their attack and their defense... Oh, you mean the lack
0: of offense and their shoddy defense? Yes.
1: yes. Yeah. But, you know, Everton have scored one more goal than West Ham, but also West Ham have conceded two fewer, yet they've both been bleeding goals, with Everton having conceded a league-worst 28 and... West Ham not far behind with the second worst 26 goals yeah so it's you know it's hard to say because as you were just saying Seb David Moyes is kind of a fundamentally conservative manager but this is the type of match that on paper you know I think that if Everton get an early goal this could end up being a goal fest
0: well, that yeah, I it, I hope for that then, because I think yeah, that this could be a very negative game.
1: Oh yeah, and, this could be it, like a
0: step backward.
1: If it's nil nil at halftime, I'm shutting it off. Oh, without a doubt. Um, but but it's but it's strange. I mean, I was just speaking about Arsenal against Huddersfield from the similar perspective that I I could see this game ending nil nil, and I could see this game ending three two. You know. Uh, I mean, and that's a pretty large standard deviation for expected goals in a match.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be a very interesting one. Uh, We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll take a listen to Pauly's mobile take, and then we'll head into our scoring predictions. So stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. Since Pauly couldn't join us here today for this recording, he... uh, blessed us with a little mobile take so here is his uh, little thoughts as he attended uh, what was the actual the fan fest
1: the premier league fan fest yes. sponsored by nbc there we go so here's paulie
2: hey guys paulie and uh, this week i'm not going to talk much about the premier league and what happened on the field i'm going to focus a bit on what happened off the field you know Certainly me, but most of us, Elliot too, and, and sometimes Seb, we're never shy to give our feelings about the TV providers for the, the beautiful game, specifically when it comes to Fox and how much they stink. Well, today we have to give credit where credit's due, and that goes out to NBC Sports, who this weekend, if you watch the Premier League this weekend on Saturday, you already know, they threw a fan fest in New York City, which I attended, and it was the most brilliant event ever uh it was the knock that i heard on it was it wasn't promoted well which was intentional they nbc it was an invite only event they reached out to uh all the the official support clubs in new york city for all the different teams on facebook they told people tell tell your club tell the people that are members of your club here's how to apply for tickets they gave the tickets out and from when you walked in the door Everything was free, free breakfast, free drinks, free merchandise, everything, top class. Uh, And it just goes to show you, you know, other networks like Fox, ESPN, certainly U.S. soccer, they could have used this as a chance to try to grow their fan base or, you know, expand their viewership. Or once inside, let's sell merchandise, let's let's sell beer, let's make some money. Not NBC. This was a thank you to all the fans who, over the past four years, or however long they've had this TV deal, all the fans that have, as their slogan says, quite literally, woken up to football every Saturday. This was a tremendous thank you to everything. they put the bill for the entire thing. Um, we, you were watching the games. Their, their staff, Rebecca Will, Robbie Musta, Robbie Earl, Mark Clattenburg. They watched the games amongst the fans. They didn't go off into the green room to do this. They watched it amongst the fans. I got to hang out with, with former ref Mark Clattenberg and with Robbie Musto. Just a tremendous experience. And credit to NBC. You deserve it. That was an A-plus experience. Um, as for the games, festive period. They're coming quick and fast. In my picks, I'm going to favor United. I'm going to favor City. I'm going to favor Chelsea. you got to favor the big clubs. They are built to handle this. I'm going to think Everton's going to lose. You'll get my picks when Seb reads them.
0: Okay, so we heard what Pauly had to say there. And Elliot, I know you have some comments, as you always do when Pauly does a mobile.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: although, I mean, this is, you know, we don't always agree, but this is one in which we are absolutely on the same page, right? Like, I think that, you know, I'm not saying that NBC is exactly a nonprofit organization donating their time but I agree with him that they did they did a great job in organizing this event. Uh, I think that they did well. For, I mean, you know, he, he talks about the the specifics of the event itself, right? Like the idea that referees like Mark Klattenberg, you know, whatever problems you've had with his decisions on the pitch itself, the fact that they bring in a referee of his caliber to be there and that they hang out there and watch the entirety of the matches with the fans – not going off to their own booth where they eat smoked salmon mm-hmm. like that's grace <laughs> that's that's hey i had the only time i've ever been in a luxury box was in the minnesota wild and i had smoked salmon i was like this is okay. surreal i think they and do be,
0: don't they do prawn they call them prawn sandwiches at
1: the boxes in england yeah but also you can get a prawn sandwich from the uh, freaking you know I want to say Marks and Spencer, but that's too posh. Like whatever (laughs) crappy little, you know, the Sainsbury's. (laughs) They're not, they're not by definition fancy, but they can be. Um, But anyway, I, I think that they did well, not only in organizing an event, but how they went about it. And I think that this speaks to, you know, we're an American podcast that talks about the premier league in the United Kingdom, but I think that it speaks to, the sort of diaspora culture of fandom in the United States and NBC's understanding of that. Because the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that Paulie highlighted that they contacted the official supporters group for each club. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the clubs, it's in their best interests to grow their international brand in order to establish these things and create an official pipeline for it. I mean, that's why. We see the teams in the top four in England always playing games in China, Indonesia, you know, wherever. Again, it's to grow their international brand. So, right, like I'm not naive in terms of the fact that there's money behind it. But still, it creates a helpful infrastructure for fans of a sport abroad to connect domestically. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I personally, I've made some of my my best friends – in you know, in the last five years via Arsenal America, at the pubs in Boston, in Portland, in San Francisco, in Denver, in Chicago. And that kind of infrastructure, the fact that NBC didn't just say, okay, we've got this event and we're going to sell tickets to it and they're going to be tears and as Paulie pointed out we're going to profit from it mm. but rather we're going to focus on that supporters culture and cater to it and then again you know provide fee- free food and drink to those supporters i mean it's not and it, and th- this is I, let me get to, let me put a finer point on this it's not about being a gatekeeper of like oh are you an ultra fan enough or aren't you no it's not about that it's about recognizing The supporters culture in America and how the infrastructure is already there to support that and kind of codify that and trying to like kind of not only galvanize that, but build on that.
0: Yeah, and I almost got, you know, sort of a college game day live vibe of, you know, having the fans in the background when when they're trying to make their point and all that stuff. And yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to hear what the experts are saying because of all the
1: noise, but it's still a nice touch. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, the, Seb, let me ask you personally: Have you been in touch with the Manchester United supporters group in Cincinnati? I imagine one exists. I have not. Yeah. Well, you also have, you know, you have a, a wife and a daughter at home, so you're not exactly a single twenty-something looking nope. to meet people in a new city. No, but, and I
0: mean, and that that was the thing too. I mean, you know, during my bachelor days, uh, <laughs> now what? <laughs> like when I was living out in California, in Santa Barbara, going to school there uh you know a lot of international students and a lot of us you know getting together super early you know talking to pubs and like hey can you open up super early let's watch the game and grab some breakfast yeah sure yeah so i mean it, it's nice that that's available here i know here in cincinnati right now it's all about fc cincinnati yeah all about yeah. FC cincinnati so, well, and you
1: may get Portland Timbers previous manager Caleb Porter, but that's a whole other decision. Whole other decision. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's nice to
0: see them put on something like this. It's, you know, it's it's not a grassroots type of thing, but it's still a a way for the Premier League to sort of embrace their fans here in the US and it's also a good move by NBC to, know, you know, earn some goodwill.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's and
0: the thing is that it's not it, and I mean, they're not. It, I mean, that's the thing too. We 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 talk a lot of shit about other networks, but I still think NBC they have a lot of good personnel in the right places, and they do a heck of a better job than you know what I can see back home in Sweden.
1: Yeah, no, the, I mean they've done a great job, and and I so the the phrase that you used there said that stands out to me is grassroots and. It to me it both is and it isn't right. And the, you know we're we're using this particular event as kind of a catalyst to talk about wider issues. But in many ways, as I said, you know it's so this event is like the N- NBC and the Premier League coming together to sponsor this event, get celebrities in there who are involved with the game in England, meet with the fans. They're contacting club supporters groups that are sponsored by the official clubs in England. And yeah, okay, so it's it's not exactly grassroots, but the people on the ground who who make up these groups. you know, I've met the I've met the president, perhaps at this point, former presidents for some of them because you know there's a turnover. but the president of the Arsenal supporter groups in New York, Boston, Portland, and San Francisco. And all of them have been fantastic people. And for them, it is a grassroots initiative that is being facilitated by the club itself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and to me, I mean, that's just... And honestly, I don't think that I would be as avid an Arsenal supporter as I am without that kind of crucible of diaspora community, right? Like, I grew up a Green Bay Packer fan because I grew up freaking 25 miles from the stadium. Like, I was inundated with it. It was just the culture in which I spent my youth. But Arsenal is the team that I chose and the team that I flourished in because of that kind of diaspora community. And the fact that NBC recognizes that is... I mean, to me, it just... It speaks to the idea that, you know what? I'm not necessarily going to subscribe to NBC Sports Gold. In fact, I'm going to explicitly go to the Arsenal America bar on Wednesday to watch the Huddersfield match because I don't have that subscription. But they get it. They get it that, like, that is how the sport is consumed, not only consumed from a capitalist point of view, but also how communities are built around it in America. And that, to me, is, you know, at minimum an encouraging
0: thing. Yeah. Now we just need the North American sports to ad- to sort of embrace some of the soccer fandom culture and start singing at games instead <laughs> instead of only clapping their goddamn hands and screaming when someone shoots a t-shirt out of a cannon
1: yeah well yeah hey I've been
0: I've, I went to two hockey games up in Columbus this past week and the loudest that it got was when yeah when they scored of course but other than that it was when the freaking t-shirt gun came out
1: yeah you know and you know I honestly the songs are another thing that attracted me to the uh, culture of the sport it's it's something special and it, it is really not present in american sports but i don't know seb one day you and i will go to lambeau field and i will show you what the heartland of american sporting culture is really all about and then we'll start singing
0: okay let's head <laughs> over to our scoring predictions heading into match day 14 Polly sits in the lead 108 points i'm in second place 91 point elliot you're dragging behind here 76 points
1: yeah, I am. Uh, no offense here, but I am the Seb of last season. This mm-hmm. year, I've, I'm just really missing, missing everywhere. But but I have at least learned my lesson in terms of failing on our podcast predictions and betting the opposite way, and you know, paying for at least a handful of beers at the uh, pub. That well, way. oh,
0: that that's not bad. Okay, so first out we got Leicester against Tottenham, and. Uh, I'll give Spurs the win here, but it's going to be a scrappy one. It's going to be 2-1. to one.
1: You know, I want to, I want to give the Foxes the benefit of the doubt at the King Power, but I think that Tottenham are going to reestablish themselves after faltering in this one. I think they're going to win 2-0. 2-0, okay. Yeah, right now we don't have
0: polished predictions, so if he fails to get them in, it's going to be one nothing to the home team in all the games, so hopefully for him he'll get him in here soon. Uh, then we got Brighton against Crystal Palace. I'm not going to talk too much about this one. One nothing Brighton.
1: You and I are on the same page there. Yep.
0: I mean that's uh Crystal Palace. Man, oh man. They're Rough shape. they're just bad. Then Watford Manchester United. You know, I'm picking with my heart in this one. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough, but they have a certain Swede that's back now, so 2 nothing, Manchester United. Uh, you know, I'm... I can easily uh, see this end in a draw, too, but uh, yeah. I'm picking with the heart here. That way I get double disappointed if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to zag. I'm going to say 1-1. Okay, yeah, that's not that's not a bad prediction, especially since you need to make up some ground here. First and foremost, try to catch me. Uh, West Brom at home to Newcastle—that's a one-one draw.
1: Yeah, I mean they—they they look pretty—they look pretty good post-Pulis.
0: Yeah, but they—I uh, mean Rondon, come on—you got to score. You got to score more with that second one.
1: Yeah, I—I I think it's going to be. I think West Brom are going to win. I'm torn. Torn on the scoreline, though. I'm going to give them. 1-0 to West Brom, even though that was my old Pulis special. Mm-hmm. Even in the post-Pulis days, they can still win 1-0 at home. Yeah, then
0: Chelsea at home to Swansea. I think this is going to be sort of ugly. 4 nothing Chelsea. Ooh, not that ugly, though. Oh, not Swansea, that are, ugly. Swansea are
1: bad. They are bad, but I'm going to I'm gonna say that they stopped the bleeding one prior to that. 3-0. <laughs> That's still pretty bad. Yeah, it's still pretty bad
0: uh net arsenal huddersfield uh three nothing
1: god bless it sab you're taking my predictions mm-hmm. i'm gonna do it so now i'm also gonna pick with my heart and say as i said it's gonna be one or the other it's gonna end up being one nil either way one one or arsenal are gonna run away with it three nil and i'm gonna go with you on that one yep then we got
0: Bournemouth against Burnley. Burnley gonna take uh, one of their uh, nice away wins here and uh, take a two to one win.
1: Now point for each one one. Ooh, I don't know Bournemouth.
0: Uh, not yeah, I mean they're I'm not, not great. Nah. Stoke against Liverpool is next on the docket, and uh, man, I keep picking against Liverpool. Maybe I shouldn't in this one. No, I'll give him the win. I'll give him a two to one win. A lot of two to ones uh, here.
1: This time we're gonna flip it I'm gonna go one better. Three one Liverpool. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I can't keep going against him too much. Then Manchester City, Southampton. They're gonna get that three nothing
1: win. Keep the goal goal average up. Ah. Uh. Damn it, Seb! I got to pick against you if I'm gonna make up ground. But I feel like I've picked enough different results, so well, I mean, we're gonna go you know, the same
0: again. Charlie Austin, might Get one. You can go three-one.
1: Not at the Etihad, 3 0 City.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's true. Then that Everton West Ham game, you
1: said goal fest. I'm gonna say scoreless draw. Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, if if it's a scoreless draw at halftime then I'm going to text you and say, damn it, you're right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm counting on you to get that early goal, guys. I mean,
0: neither of them can defend, so it's sort of risky to pick a scoreless draw here too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, West Ham are just bad enough that I'm going to hope that Everton can get it done at home against them and say 2-1. 2 1 Everton. 2 1 Everton. Okay, guys, there you have it.
0: As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Elliot is Keats was better. Paulie is P. Questel. Give Foundry Sports a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again on Thursday as we'll sum up these games and take a look at the weekend ahead. So uh, until then, have a good one. Bye bye.